The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. I, I welcome everybody to the program. We've got a great group in our YouTube chat, and, and you were also very patient as I worked through the technical problem. And we got a nice group in the Twitch chat as well. Here's the thing. We're going to be talking about ghosts and Bigfoot and UFOs and all of the things that make up what we would call the paranormal uh, world. Uh, because our guest tonight, John Olson, has written a series of books called The Stranger Series, uh, The Stranger Land series of books. His first one was called um, Stranger Bridgerland. I think that was the very first one. Let me just look here. Yeah, Stranger Bid Bridgerland was the first one with the subtitle True Paranormal Stories from Northern Utah. He's written five books, and each one of these books is focused on a, either a bigger geographic area or a different geographic area. He has Beyond Stranger Bridgerland. He's got Stranger West. He's got uh, Stranger U.S. And then his newest book, which is what we're going to focus on tonight, is Beyond Stranger U.S. But John is, uh, is has been an author for a long time. He collects stories. He investigates the stories. Hey, Vince, good to see you. He investigates the story stories, and he takes that opportunity to um, to share them in his books. And he's got some really great stuff, and we're going to be talking about all of that tonight, uh, which will be a lot of fun. I do want to mention, if, if you have in the past been a subscriber to our Twitch channel and used your Amazon Prime account to do that so there's no fee to do that, uh, please jump over to Twitch at some point and, and renew that subscription using your Amazon Prime account. They only last for a month, and then you have to renew them, and I see a bunch of them have dropped off here, so I'm asking that you do that so we can keep our numbers up over there. We have a lot of great followers on Twitch, and um, I'm not you know, super anxious to get people to subscribe. I like the followers just as much, um, but if you can do that, and because it's your Amazon Prime account and it doesn't cost anything, I'd appreciate it if you take the time to do that for us. Conversely, if you're part of the Twitch family and you haven't found the YouTube channel, it's very easy to find that as well. Just search for J.V. Johnson's Beyond Paranormal on YouTube. Very easy to find and subscribe there. Of course, there's no fee to do a, a subscription on YouTube. And YouTube, by the way, has our archive of programs. Twitch does not have the archive, but YouTube does. Seven, eight hundred programs there now? I mean, you know, we go back several years with the programs on YouTube and, uh, you know, there was a time we were doing at least four shows a week, and that's a lot of interviews. We've done a lot. And as you know, uh, I'm now involved in a couple of other programs as well, so we've had to pair these back to a couple a week, and that's what we're doing. So, um, again, if you could jump over to YouTube and subscribe there as well. And then the third great option for enjoying the show is through our podcast version of the program. That can be found on all major podcast distribution platforms, it's called, uh, what, Beyond Paranormal? Uh, I think I, I never remember exactly what we've named everything because we have to, depending on what shows are already there, we have to be careful about how we name them. So, But it's easy enough to find. You'll be able to find Beyond Paranormal, I think, is the, uh, is the podcast version. By the way, podcast show gets downloaded nearly 10,000 times a day. Thank you so much to all of our podcast listeners. I really appreciate it. And we do have a lot of great uh, support there, too, folks who click. There's a little support link in the podcast description that allows you to pledge like 99 cents a month or something like that. There are a couple different options, but the entry-level option is 99 cents a month. 
And when you do the math on that, it's like 10 cents a program or something less than that. It's a little silly. But the folks who do that and support us that way, we greatly appreciate it because it helps us pay for things like this new equipment that's not working right now or other things that we're doing, um, you know, when we when we uh, put together merchandise and that kind of thing. So thank you for doing that as well. And also thank you to everybody who does the same thing using our Patreon support page, which is, by the way, Joe Haw. J-O-H-A-W on Patreon. Easy to find that as well. All right, I've talked enough. We got our tech problems solved, so we're good there. Let's jump uh, to break right now, and then we will um, get our guest into the program again. We're talking with John Olson tonight about his latest book, which is the fifth book in the Strangerland book series. It's called Beyond Stranger U.S., and we'll be right back. Hey, it's JV here. You know I've asked for your support in the past, and I'm going to do it again because it's really, really important. And there are a couple of ways you can support the show, and it's so inexpensive. Now, you can go to Patreon, and you can become a Patreon supporter, and we really, really encourage that. But there's also another way. If you look at the description of the podcast, if you're a podcast listener, and you scroll down to the bottom, there's a way to support the show directly through the podcast app. And it's only 99 cents a month. It's less than a buck. You probably have that change in your couch right now. That dollar a month less than a dollar goes a long way in helping us produce this program provide great interviews for you during the course of the week i thank you in advance because the support is so important to the program when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply all right welcome back to the show it's beyond reality thanks for being here tonight we've got a great conversation with a guest uh, i think this might be john's third appearance maybe more I'm not entirely sure. He's got five books in the Strangerland series, but John has a new book out called Beyond Stranger U.S. John Olson is our guest. John, welcome back to the show. Great to have you here. Four, five times, three times? I can't remember, but you've been on a bunch. I Yeah, I can't remember if it's three or four or, or not, but thank you so much for having me back on, J.B. I really appreciate it. Well, I love having you on because you do such a great job with the stories that you've collected and included in all of your books. You're on number five, John. I think... I had you on the program when you when you introduced the first one. That's now you've got five. How long of a, a time span between one and five? How many years has it taken you to do this? You know what? I I've been able to do one about one a year, um, which has been worked out really well. Um, I'm still gathering stories, but I you know I spend a lot of years gathering stories here in Utah. So I have a lot of stories, and I keep gathering stories. So I, I just hope I can keep going as long as. You know, the stories keep coming in. I know we've talked about some of this before, but we always have a revolving audience, new people coming in all the time. What is What was the motivation for you to start assembling these stories and ultimately put them into books? So um, I grew up here in northern Utah, um, in a small town in northern Utah. And um, the home I grew up in was built in 1883, so it was a really older home. Um, my parents had done a lot of remodeling on it, but, you know, the original... Uh, part of the house was built back then. So it was over 100 years old uh, when I was a kid. And um, it wasn't long before I realized, probably about eight years old, um, I knew there was something going on in my house that that didn't happen at my friend's house. And uh, I had quite a few experiences, uh, me and my siblings, in the house growing up. And um, 
what happened was we weren't really allowed to talk about it outside of the house for a long time because my parents were just afraid that people would think we were crazy back then. It was it was not as as normal, I guess right. you would say, yeah. as it is now. But um, then, you know, as I got older um, and some of my friends when I was a teenager had experiences in my house and I had to admit, you know, that I that I grew up in a haunted house and I started telling my stories. Then before long, people started bringing me their stories. And, and that's how I got started collecting stories and interviewing people. I have to ask again, because I love to hear you talk about some of the things that were happening when you were a child between with you and your parents or you and your siblings in the house that you lived in, because that's often how it starts for a lot of people. They're young. They're experiencing some weird things in the house they live in. Some choose to mm-hmm. pursue it. Some choose to ignore <laughs> it and move on. Uh, what were right. some of the things that were happening in the house? So there was all kinds of different things that had happened when I was growing up. Um, I did see uh, apparitions every once in a while. Um, they weren't, you know, happening a lot, but I remember, you know, two or three times seeing full-body apparitions. Um, there's a steep staircase that runs from the main floor up to the second floor, and um, at any time of the day, you could hear either kids running up and down it or heavy footsteps of boots that were going up and down when there was nobody on the stairs. Um and things would go missing quite a bit. I remember one time uh, when I was a kid, I had a, a toy airplane. I had to be maybe six or seven years old. And I was in the kitchen playing with my toy airplane, and I set it on the counter, and I turned around to get a glass of water. And when I turned back around, the plane was gone, but sitting in its place was a cap gun that I'd never seen before. Mm. And I picked it up, and I went and showed it to my mom, and it was a heavy, you know, um, cast, you know, cast cap gun from the twenties, and um, and she just kind of said, "Well, you know, play with this, I guess." And and I was confused because my airplane was missing, and this cap gun was left in its place, and you know, it would go missing and then come back, and and just all kinds of weird things like that happened uh, in the house when I was growing up. I, you know, a lot of people spend their whole lives in search of the paranormal and in specifically in search of a full-bodied apparition. You were you had a couple of experiences with that as a child. And then this cap gun thing I find interesting, too, only because I don't think it's, you're even allowed to play with cap guns in today's age, uh, you know, right. <laughs> political age. You're not allowed to do that. <laughs> but as kids, we used to play with them all the time. Um, but that's pretty cool, too, because you said it was like from the 20s, so it had to be, you know, it, pro- it wasn't yours, obviously. No, no, and and it wasn't the only thing, too. There would be times when uh, toys or objects that, you know, you had in your hand one minute were gone the next, and things would show up in the house as well that were from, like I said, the 20s, um, and uh, toys would show up every once in a while and and in, you know, mint condition, uh, and then they would, you know, seem to disappear again. It was, it was kind of a common place to... To, uh, for example, this is a funny one that happened when um, I was younger. My brother and I were, we got up Saturday morning to go watch cartoons in the basement. And um, as you did when you were, you know, younger and yep. these kids don't understand that you had to get up and, and watch cartoons on Saturday morning. But um, my dad had just got a new pair of boots and um, in the mail and he was excited to get them laced up. And he's in the kitchen and he 
you know, placed the, uh, the shoelaces down and turned to get the scissors so he could cut the plastic off of it and turned back around and the shoes were there, but the shoelaces were gone. And my, my dad and me and my brother were the only ones at home at the time. And my dad yells down the stairs for us to bring back the shoelaces. And my brother and I just look at each other like, you know, what's he talking about? He looked all over the kitchen, couldn't find them. And he finally gave up and then went outside to start, you know, some of the, the chores on the outside of the house and laying on the um, table outside on the front porch was his shoelaces, how they got from the kitchen out there without him seeing or, or whatever it was. Uh, it was really very strange. And, and that was the kind of things that, that happened quite a bit when I was growing up in the house. So do you think in retrospect that whatever was messing around with you, whatever was doing these things, was doing it from a malicious standpoint or more of a playful standpoint? It definitely was a playful standpoint. Um, it, it never th- there was never anything really malicious or or mean spirited. I you you could say. Um, growing up in it, it's interesting. I you know I tell some of these stories and people ask me, well, weren't you scared to death or you know you know weren't you afraid? And and I just kind of thought, well, no, you know, growing up in it, it was almost a natural thing that occurred. And as I got m- more curious and I found it more exciting than I ever did necessarily frightening. Um, and it's what's interesting is my parents live in that house still today. And um, as my parents have gotten older, um, I recently had to move uh, closer to home again to my parents so my wife and I can help take care of them. And even to today, there are things that go on in the house uh, quite a bit. Uh, for example, this is an interesting one. Just the other day, my wife was telling me she had gone to check on my parents and Upstairs on the the top of those um, steep staircase, uh, there's cats. My parents' cats that stay up there, and one that's like really afraid to come downstairs. So they keep food for it and everything upstairs. So she was going upstairs to to check on the cats and and make sure they had food. And uh, as she looked up the stairs, at the top of the stairs, she's there was a hand around uh, coming from around the doorway. Um, right above the the light switch, and she stopped, and it kind of slid around and disappeared. It was a a man's hand with a white uh, shirt, and he's been seen before we uh, several times. And so she went upstairs wondering who was upstairs, and there was absolutely nobody up there. There's only two rooms, and there's nowhere for anybody to hide. And so even to today, there's things that go on in that house um, that. Uh, some people might seem frightening, but I find really fascinating. Well, I mean, that is very fascinating to see a disembodied hand <laughs> reaching around or <laughs> yeah. kind of coming around the corner to you. But if you can take it in stride, I suppose if it's if you're used to it and you kind of have come to expect it in that house, you know, you don't get as startled as someone who is completely taken unaware. Uh, I guess right. that's a good thing, but the curiosity that it fed for you, the, the, it, you know, it created this interest in not just that kind of paranormal, but obviously your books talk about all sorts of paranormal phenomena. Uh, did you have other things happen as well in that area? Or, you know, UFO, Bigfoot, any of that stuff happened to you personally? Um, not, not personally. I have had other experiences, uh, especially in the mountains. I spent a lot of time in the mountains. Uh, where, where I grew up, a lot of what I did as a kid growing up was out in the wilderness. And I've had a few experiences where... Um, I've come into an area, and um, 
one time I, I, I was fishing on this uh, small river and I'm up probably about seven miles from, from nowhere. And I walked into this little clearing and it's a beautiful, sunny spring, spring day. And all of a sudden it was almost like there was a blanket thrown over me in the sense that, you know, the sound was muted. I couldn't hear the bugs anymore. Um, I had this, you know, just horrible fear come over me, like there was something in the area that didn't want me there. And um, the further I went along, the worse it got until I finally turned and and walked up the hill, um, up the mountain to get away from whatever this was. Um, And I had that experience. I've had a few other experiences as well, but but most of my paranormal stuff that has happened to me was was growing up in the house. But it did pique my interest in all areas of the paranormal. Uh, so when I collect stories, you know, I don't distinguish. I, you know, I've gotten UFOs and Bigfoot stories and and glitches in the Matrix. You know, all kinds of anything to do with paranormal. I've I've you know collected and interviewed people about. And when you started, you 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 made somewhat focused on utah itself right i mean that was the first book and Mm -hmm. uh, because that's where you grew up and you found plenty of stories just in your general area to to fit the bill here i mean there's there's a lot going on there yeah there is um it seems like the area i grew up in it's uh it's called cache valley um it's um right near um the northern part of utah it's a it's a valley that runs north and south and um yeah as i grew up you know, and I started doing this when I was 17, interviewing people when they came to me with their stories or um, hunting down stories that I heard. Um, there was a lot going on here. Um, there's uh, the Wellsville Mountains that lie to the west have a lot of UFO stories. Um, there's an area towards the east um, on the Cache National Forest, which has a lot of Bigfoot stories, um, which I find fascinating because as I've interviewed people over the years, and gathered stories um, from people who have seen Bigfoot. Um, there's almost, uh, I almost would say, a seven-mile circle that you could draw in the Cache National Forest where uh, there's quite a, a few Bigfoot sightings, and yet these people don't know each other and never told each other the stories, never heard these stories. But you could draw a circle, a five-mile circle, and they all kind of happen within that area. So. Um, yeah, it's it's fascinating. The whole part of northern Utah is, is really very paranormally active. Can I ask you a question that has nothing to do with anything you've written, nothing to do with the paranormal per se, but I'm just very, very curious. Uh, you know, we've all been following this story that's been that's gotten national headlines about the uh, murder of Gabby Petito. Were, weren't they in Utah? And is was weren't they somewhere? Are they were they somewhere near where you're talking about at all? Do you so, know? Um, I know they were in southern Utah, and then they made their way up to Yellowstone. And um, and so if you draw the line through there, then uh, they would have have to have come near um, my area that way as well. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly uh, the different places that, sh- that they were at. Yeah. But they were definitely in southern Utah and then ended up up near Yellowstone, which would have taken them through 
most of Utah, yeah. So they could have come through this area pretty easily. Yeah, I didn't mean to put you on the spot with that. I was just curious if no. you'd heard anything because you're you're more local to that than I am, certainly being here in New York. Um, mm-hmm. So how did you start collecting the stories, John? I mean, you, you obviously had a lot of kind of what you I would call like local legend, local folklore that probably fed a lot of the information to you. Uh, and then you have some more contemporary uh, experiences too. Uh, how did you start assembling all this, not just for the, the first book, for all of them, for the most part? Well, it's interesting because, uh, like I said, by the time I was 17, I was, you know, telling my stories at parties and and stuff like that. And I would have people come to me afterwards and say, you know, oh, I had this experience. And, and so I started, you know, sitting down and interviewing them and writing down these stories. And for a long time, you know, if I heard a story where uh, somebody said, oh, this happened to my uncle, and then I would spend time to try and hunt down that uncle and try and get it so that I could make sure I could get it first person. Um, and I collected for years and years and years. And then um, about six years ago, oddly enough, I got remarried, um, and my wife uh, she, you know, had to kind of explain what all this paperwork and everything that I kept was. And, you know, the, explain the house that I grew up in and everything like that. And she said, well, what are you going to do with all of these stories? And I'm like, well, you know, I, I want to write a book someday. And she's like, well, you know, why don't you do it now? And she was such a great influence in helping me and pushing me to do my first book, which, like you said, was mostly stuff that I collected from uh, northern Utah and, and some in Idaho. And once I started and wrote that first book and it got out, um, I, I ended up getting more people contacting me. And then once, you know, the next book came out, I even had more people contact me. And and since the books, you know, they started with Stranger Bridgerland, which Bridgerland is northern Utah and parts of um, Idaho and Wyoming. And then, you know, it's just grown from there. And all the way out to this last, the, my last book that just came out, I have a story from Mexico even. I have a couple stories from Canada and so it's just kind of grown, which has been great. As you hear the stories and as you collect these stories, do you ever get a chance to look the people in the eye that are that are relating the story to you and get a sense from, you know, maybe body language or their eyes, whether or not this is something that either, you know, scared them or maybe it's even something that you might say, hmm, this, this sounds more like something they had, you know, envisioned in their head. It really didn't happen. Any, do you get right. that opportunity? You know, I'm, I like to do that. If I can, I'll, I'll do it on, on Skype uh, so that I can, you know, if, if they're really far away. Right. If they're close, I love to, you know, do one-on-one um, kind of uh, interview like that. But it's interesting that you mention that because even some of the more, you know, stories that you might see are fantastical stories that that you hear and you're like, wow, that's that seems really out there. Um, it's, it's interesting because you talk to the people. Um, it, a lot of them, they're right back in that place where they were. And you can sense, uh, the, you know, the fear in their voice and their confusion. And, you know, I, I, a lot of times I have to go off of my feeling of, you know, the story they're telling me and, and you know, do I believe what they're saying? And, and But, yeah, when I get to interview them and, you know, do it face-to-face or over Skype or, and, and hear the, the fear in their voice, some of them, and and realize that you know what they saw you know is what they're explaining to me and and that their fear was real at the time and and it still sticks with them a lot of them uh, the stories are still with them 
Yeah, those types of stories do tend to leave a mark, uh, and it's sometimes a mark that never goes away. And uh, the fear, if it, depending on the circumstances of the experience for the person, sometimes that fear stays with them forever as well. Have you noticed along the way as you're collecting the stories, John, whether there's a geographic concentration of certain types of stories, like, you know, there's a specific area in Utah where there's just a ton of UFO or, or a specific area of Idaho where there's a ton of Bigfoot, or how uh, more of a chronological uh, concentration. In other words, you know, during the period of 93 to 98, there's just so many sudden appearance of UFO stories. Anything, any patterns like that start to show up when you collected these stories? Um, there are some areas that definitely stick out in my mind, um, especially with like Bigfoot. Um, when I interview people and they they're start telling me where it was that they'd seen it, and I'm like, oh, yep, that's within that circle that that it's actually um, near uh, what we call Beaver Mountain, which is a ski resort here in northern Utah. Um, in that area, there's a lot of Bigfoot um, activity and and there's a lot of things that go on in that area as well. Um, I know that like way back in, I'm going to say the the early 90s, I remember um, I had heard some stories about um, Bigfoot sighting and that it happened in northern Utah. And what was interesting, when I went and talked to a few people and was able to n- narrow it down, it was almost like you could follow this Bigfoot that had gone from uh, – through northern Utah, through these towns, and then up into Idaho, and then it disappeared. But, you know, for one week, there were sightings in these in this one town, and then a week later, there were some sightings uh, the next town up, and it kind of felt, it kind of followed this path all oh, wow. the way up through uh, Idaho. Wow, so you could actually track it, you know, like, like you said, a path that worked its way through the territory. Right, exactly, yep. So in my mind, I'm like, well, it was definitely you know, a Sasquatch that was that was traveling through the area, and this is the path that he followed. And, and it being in the early 90s when it happened, um, you know, you didn't have – you only had word of mouth. You didn't have the Internet. You didn't have yeah. a lot of stuff like that. So it was a lot easier to believe that it was, you know, the, you know this is the track that it, that it took going through. Uh, there, there are people that love a good ghost story but don't necessarily believe in ghosts. There are a lot of people that love a good UFO story that no, don't necessarily believe UFO or alien visitors. Uh, same thing with Bigfoot. Where do you fall in all this? Do you, do you believe in all these phenomena? Uh, not necessarily all the stories, but the phenomena themselves? You know, I do. Um, I, I can't go this many years and interview people about their UFO experiences or their Bigfoot experiences and, and not believe that there's something to it. You know, um, I, I definitely, you know, have experience with the ghosts and with that part of the paranormal. Right. But like I say, I've interviewed enough people and uh, about all of their experiences that I definitely believe there's something to it. Um, you know, what, whatever it is, you know, with Bigfoot or UFOs or whatever it is, I, yeah, I, I definitely believe it, even though in a lot of cases, I'd love to see a Bigfoot. That's the one thing I, you know, I would love to do. And I've spent a lot of time in the wilderness, but um, there's definitely something to all of it, I believe. Well, then I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Let's take, <laughs> let's take them one at a time. Let's talk about ghosts for a minute. You've had personal experience. What do you think ghosts are? Some people say, 
you know, they are the disembodied spirits of people who used to live, don't or no longer live, and have have uh, you know passed on. Uh, some mm-hmm. people say that maybe it's a it's a it's a it's a dimensional slip we're seeing into another dimension. Some people say it's a time slip. Do you have any thoughts on any of those theories? What do you think they are? In my personal belief, I think that there are you know different kinds of hauntings for sure. Um, there are. Um, you know, interactive hauntings, which would be, you know, somebody who has passed on from this world um, that's still staying in the same area, um, whether it's a home or it's attached to a person, place, or thing, which I believe a lot of ghosts can be attached to. Um, And then there's also uh, residual hauntings, I believe in that as well. Kind of the same thing where uh, I I give this example. Uh, One of my last houses I had, um, I could sit on my porch, and I have a, a big black lab, and even if I don't see that black lab, I know exactly where he walks along the fence every day because mm-hmm. it leaves a trail. He leaves a trail. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that a residual haunting is very similar to that, somebody doing something over and over and over again, and it kind of leaves a mark. Um, I, and so um, I believe that there are, one, interactive ghosts of people who have passed on, and then two residual things that may happen that that don't necessarily seem to react to you, but um, you're seeing either into the past or or something left there. And then I also believe that there are um, more darker entities out there, whether you know you call them demons or whatever you want to call them, um, that are definitely more negative things that can affect your life. Um, I, I I happen to believe that. They have to be kind of invited somehow into your life in order to interact with you, uh, but they're definitely a darker, uh, more sinister thing uh, in in at least the ghost realm, so to speak. When we talk about Bigfoot, some people think flesh and blood. Some people say alien connection. Some say interdimensional traveler. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts? Boy, that one, that one, I I think about a lot to be quite honest because. Um, I've spent a lot of time in the wilderness, and um, there was one time that my youngest son and I came across some tracks that were big tracks that had long, um, you know, stride, um, and that was the only time that I'd ever come across anything like that, and yet I've interviewed a lot of people who've seen him. So whether it's, I'm just not sure if it's a flesh and blood creature or if it's more the way the Native Americans think of him as, uh, they they kind of think of him as a flesh and blood creature, but yet still uh, a creature of the forest and 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 kind of a a spirit of the forest, able to come and go as he wants. And so I I'm not sure to be honest, uh, but I would love to know for sure. But it would be hard for one of those to hide at least here. But you just don't know. Um, I just don't know, to be honest. I know there's something to it, but whether it's a flesh and blood creature or more of a paranormal thing, I'm just not sure. There has been a lot made recently of the government disclosure, particularly the U.S. military, releasing information and reporting to Congress back in June about their knowledge of their evidence of UFO or UAP is what they're now calling them, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. 
Uh, and, and basically, I think the report left more questions than it did give answers. However, has it changed your opinion at all? Any of this changed your opinion? I'm sure you've seen some of the videos as to what we're seeing in our skies, sometimes at night, sometimes during the day. Um, you know, I've always UFOs are also something that's always fascinated me, along with all the other things about the paranormal. Um, I've always kind of had a belief that we're not alone in the universe. Um, and that it's very possible that we're being visited by um, other civilizations. Uh, I remember, it's funny. I remember reading an article from uh, the the president of the patent office in 1901, writing to the president to say that they should close the patent yeah. office because everything that's been invented has already been invented. And that kind of makes me chuckle because... I think, and I listen to people who, you know, scientists who say, oh, there's no way we can break, you know, the speed of light. There's no way we can do this. And and I think back to the, you know, it wasn't that long ago that people believed that man would never fly either. So I, I just think that there's too much that we don't know in the universe that couldn't, that there's a possibility that somehow uh, other uh, races are able to visit us here on earth whether it's interdimensional or whatever but they're you know i believe that we're being visited somehow and and that's what a lot of what we're seeing some of it is definitely um the military uh, advanced military stuff but it, it would not surprise me at all if they finally the government finally came out and said yeah we you know we are in contact with with other worlds it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me i'll, I'll put it that way I love that uh, reference to the patent office. I've heard that story before, and I know that's that to be true. And it's such a it's such a, yeah. an innocent look at technology when you see how far we've come in the last hundred years. It's amazing right. how they thought everything had been invented at that point. And you're so right about things like flight or even getting to the moon, things like that mm -hmm. that people thought were impossible. And it makes me think about. Uh, watching science fiction movies or even science fiction television that really foretold of a lot of the things that we have today, even something like the original Star Trek series. There's so right. many things in that series that back then seemed impossible, and now we see them as being somewhat realistic or you know part of our everyday lives. There's a lot of that. Yeah, it really is. I, I remember it wasn't that long ago I was thinking about my grandfather, uh, he was born in um, uh, 1915, and um, he's been gone about 20 years now. But I was just thinking about everything that he saw in his lifetime, yeah. you know, in the advancements, and um, just, you know, how much further we will come in, in my kid's lifetime. Uh, it's, you should never say never, that's for sure. When, when you talk about, you know, advancements in technology, you should never say never. So the new book is uh, Beyond Stranger U.S., right? That's, that's the title. Yep. Um, would you say this one's different than the others, and if so, how? Um, you know what? I, I'm, I really am partial to some of the stories in this one. Um, in the past, um, I've kind of avoided some of the stories that I've collected about um, that might seem a little bit um, darker or a little bit... Um, uh, I, I'm not sure exactly. The, the best way I can explain it is, you know, I've gathered a lot of stories in the past of people who have had experiences with Ouija boards, and I happen to have a personal belief that you shouldn't mess with them. 
It's just, you know, and I didn't want to encourage people to do that. Yeah. But one of the stories in it is about uh, this this uh, girl and her experience with it. And I was able to write it in a, in a way of kind of a, a warning more, more or less because of the experience she had. And so um, there's a little bit more of that in it coming from kind of a, a warning standpoint of some of the things that, that you may not want to mess with. Um, but I, I just really like this book. There's some, some really good uh, stories in there that, that are kind of, um, I, I guess you could say scarier. I guess you could put it that way. But um, it, there's a lot of stuff in there, like, uh, time, you know, a few time slip stories, UFO, Bigfoot, a lot of what are in my other books for sure. Um, but it, it's it, it maybe a little bit darker is all I would say. Uh, you brought up the Ouija board. Uh, that often mm-hmm. comes up on the program. There are some who feel as though it is, like you said, something that shouldn't be fooled around with. There are others that say it's just a tool like any other, and others that say it's mm-hmm. just a parlor game. Uh, do you, did you get, have you had stories related to you as you've done your research that indicate to you that, yeah, you need to stay away from an Ouija board. These things have happened. you I mean, you, you're the one collecting the stories. Have you heard stuff about this that supports yeah, that idea? I, yeah, I have. I've, I've, I've interviewed quite a few people who've had experiences with them. And I know out of everybody that I've um, interviewed that's had experience with them, there hasn't been anyone that I would say would be a good experience. Um, I kind of explain it. And, and you know, I, I respect other people's beliefs as well. And, and I know I have friends in the paranormal realm that, that, that say, oh, you know, it's just a tool. It's like everything else. And, and I respect their beliefs in that. Um, just personally from everybody that I've interviewed, um, it, it, it kind of opens a door, especially to things that you may not want in your home or in your life. Um, the one that is in this book, there was a young woman that talked about her boyfriend talking her into um, playing with the Ouija board. And um, he was actually attacked um, shortly after um, the session and scratched. And um, just the, you know, the whatever it was that came through that was extremely violent to the group that was using the board. And, and in her experience, she wanted to tell the story from the point of view of, you know, it's best not to mess with kind of thing. Yeah. You know, I remember when I was a kid, my parents had a, had a Ouija board and they used to play it. You know, they'd have friends come over. My parents were, they were only 18 years older than me. They were young when I was born. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, they were in their, what, late 20s when I was old enough to, to understand what was going on. And they'd have friends come over. They'd be playing with uh, the Ouija board. And then, you know, me and my friends would play with it. Never thought anything. I, I have to say, I never had any bad experiences. I scared myself half to death with them. But uh, I didn't have any bad experiences. So I'm kind of on the fence about it. However, I've heard stories like you, John. I've heard people say they've had very bad experiences and they've, you know, they've messed around with it and opened a portal or a door to something that they didn't want to mess with. Right, right. And and I kind of relate it to um, just picking up a a telephone and and dialing at random. You're not really sure who's going to pick up the other the other side, you know, so I kind of relate it to that. Um, and back to when we were talking about different spirits, um, whether you're contacting somebody who's dead or even, you know, maybe a more malevolent, malevolent spirit or something that, that might be looking for a way in, uh, to affect your life. So I, I generally suggest 
avoiding it, but that's just from my experience from interviewing people. I've actually never played with one personally just because of the stories that I've heard and things like that. So, but I'm, you know, I've also heard not firsthand, but other stories of people who, you know, used it at a party and they thought it was just, you know, nothing happened and it was silly and, and you just don't know. So. I guess it's similar to any kind of paranormal interaction. It doesn't happen on command necessarily. Right. Right. You, uh, Collected a lot of stories for this particular book. You said that some of them take a darker uh, approach or a darker turn or, or they're darker stories mm-hmm. in general. I have to tell you, when I look at the covers, the cover of this one has an eyeball and an alien-looking creature. Just the, <laughs> the cover itself is a little bit darker, John. Is that intentional? Yeah, it is. Um, I had that uh, designed by um, uh, – I contacted this artist and kind of worked with them. I wanted to get capture the feeling of – um, there's a lot of outdoor stories. I, for some reason, and I, I, I'm not sure why, but a lot of the stories that I gather are from people um, who have experiences in the wilderness or out in the woods. Um, maybe it's just because of the area or who knows. But I kind of wanted to gather that as kind of a, an eye-catching, no pun intended because there's an eye on the cover, but <laughs> um, and, and kind of the outdoors and, and kind of frightening feel. And, and I think she did an amazing job doing that with the cover. It is a little spooky, a little creepy. Uh, you, you, of all the stories that you got to include in this particular book, is there one that stands out as being one of your favorites? Yeah. Um, you know, through, through the years, one thing that's kind of stood out for me is um, people who have run into, um, you know, you know, you've heard of shadow people. Sure. And I know you've heard a lot of stories about that. Um, <clears throat> I've, I've interviewed a lot of people who have run into these shadow people in the wilderness. And um, one story that uh, stands out, it's actually called Hunting Monsters, was the name of it. And I interviewed this gentleman a couple years ago after one of my books. He contacted me, um, and his name's Ed. Actually, it's, it's not. I changed his name. He, he asked me to change his name for the book, which was fine. Um, he grew up in Montana, uh, went to school, spent time in the military, came home, uh, grew up in an outdoor family like me hunting and fishing, and he had an experience where him and a good friend of him was hunting deer in Montana, and they were on this hill um, spotting for deer, uh, doing what's called a spot and stock, where they would spot the deer and one of them would stalk. And and all of a sudden, while they were on the hill, uh, they heard this really weird metallic hum, and they couldn't figure out where the metallic hum was coming from, and uh, it got louder and louder and then disappeared, you know, and they were kind of confused and didn't understand. You know, they kind of brushed it off. And after a while, uh, they spotted a deer that he wanted to hike down to try and get closer to. And his friend Jim stayed on the hill so he could watch and then signal him if he bumped the deer, which is called bumping the deer, if you if, if the deer hears you before you get close enough. And so he headed down that way, and as he entered uh, some a patch of trees. Um, they were quaking aspen, and then a few pine trees. He he said as he walked in there, he got a really weird feeling, and all of a sudden the metallic hum started again, and it got really loud. And he said it got dark in the the hollow of the trees, almost as if the sun had been covered by a dark cloud. And all of a sudden, behind one of the trees, about thirty yards from him, out stepped this thing. 
And um, it's interesting, you know, we were talking earlier about when you interview people, and he he's still scared to death. Um, this happened many years ago, and he's still scared to death about this. Um, this tall, about eight-foot-tall um, black figure stepped out from behind the tree into the path, and he said it was an inky black, almost like um, with a sheen of black uh, all over its body, and um, almond-shaped red eyes that almost glowed like uh, if you hit, um, you know, the uh, the things on bicycles that, that you shine your, your lights on, the cars hit, and they yeah, glow red. Yeah, the reflectors. Red. Yeah, the reflectors. Mm-hmm. Reflectors, yeah. Yeah. And it stepped out, and he said um, he was very, you know, very specific um, about his details, that it was a shiny black, had these almond-shaped um, red eyes, but the fringes on the outside of it were almost like, um, he said, it was almost like the static of a television. And the hum got louder, and he scared to death. And all of a sudden, he, his vision went down to a pinpoint, and he passed out. And he said the next thing he, know, he knew is his buddy was trying to you know, wake him up. Um, he's passed out in the in the middle of the trail, and um, he he finally comes to, and his buddy helps him over to you know this log so he can sit, and he's just fuzzy. He says his whole mind is just fuzzy, everything's fuzzy, and his buddy had heard the sound again, and then he never showed up. So after about forty five minutes, his friend came down to find him and found him passed out. And he was afraid to tell his friend what he had seen because it just nothing made sense to him about what had just happened to him. And um, he went years and years before he would go back into the forest. And he had contacted me because he wanted to know if anybody that I knew had had any similar experiences. And I, I talked to him about the shadow people, and I wasn't sure if that if that was the same thing, because that's the first time I'd heard of anything like this in the daylight or the the eyes were a new thing as well. Yeah. And, uh, but it was just, but just listening to him, he was still scared to death. It had been many years since it had happened. And I could just hear in his voice that he was just scared to death. Um, it took until his boys were old enough to hunt and finally talked him into going back into the woods and he, his wife had been the only one that he'd shared this experience with other than than me. And, and he made me change a lot of stuff um, about the area that he was in so that nobody could figure out who he was. But his biggest thing was he wanted to know if anybody else had had similar experience. And, you know, I could only share with him what other people had seen with these um, shadow people. But but this one was really kind of strange and, and out there. And, and what it was, I still, you know, I will wasn't able to tell Ed what it was, and I still don't know, but it, it's kind of fascinating that that something like that exists and whatever it was that he saw. I know that he went to the doctor the next day to get a full workup because he was afraid that maybe he'd had a stroke or something, yeah. but he was in full health. Um, nothing was wrong, so, and, you know, no mental health issues or anything like that before, And but he did suffer a lot. Of, I guess you would call PTSD after that. And just being afraid to be alone for a long time and nightmares, and so that's that's a good example. You know, that's one of my favorite ones in this new book, and and kind of a strange out there, what is it kind of thing. It, it fascinates me. 
Yeah, that's a, a fascinating and also very creepy story. And just a couple things about it uh, struck me. The eyes is a, is an important one. I I haven't heard of too many shadow people with that kind of eyes. Right. And and then the 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 metallic hum. Both of those things keep making me think extraterrestrial, alien type yeah. connection more so than anything you know, uh, spiritual or shadow person related. I mean, that's kind of where I go with with those elements. Right. Yeah, and, and and we talked a little bit of that about that as well, um, because like you said, that metallic hum I've heard before from people who have seen a UFOs up close. That metallic hum kind of a sound, um, but yeah, it's and and the almond eyes also kind of you know turned me that way as well. But it, it's very strange for sure. It is, and another thing I was going to ask you, and I wrote this down prior to you even telling that story, is if you'd had anybody report stories about uh, Hatman sightings or even Slenderman sightings. And we all have a, you know, there's a bit of a uncertainty about the Slenderman stuff because we know it came from a fabricated source, but yet once it was mm-hmm. created, people started to see it. So that makes it interesting in its in itself. But the story you just told, given the size of of this black-looking creature figure, uh, mm-hmm. it also starts to connect maybe to like to a Hatman slash Slenderman type experience. Yeah, there's definitely some of those out there, um, some strange strange going on. Um, I've interviewed a lot of people who have seen um, the shadow people. Um, I, I haven't interviewed anybody who's seen the Hatman in particular with the, with the shadow creatures. I do find that um, when I interview people and they see the shadow people in the forests or in the mountains, they seem to be bigger than um, some of the more uh, or some of the ones that people see in in more of a rural setting or more of a you know city setting. Um, I, I've interviewed people all the way from you know seeing just you know human size shadow figures to um, in one of my books I talked to a gentleman who saw three, um, which are, are associated with what's called watchers, um, that are that were nearly 20 feet tall um, on a ridgeline watching uh, this these boys as they were camping in the Wind River. So I, I just find it fascinating that for some reason the ones that people are seeing in the wilderness are a lot taller, a, a lot bigger um, creatures for some reason. And, and what they're tied to, I'm not sure. Um, are they elementals? I, you know, I just am not sure. I guess if we had all those answers, we'd have less to talk about, right? <laughs> if right, we knew the exactly. answers. Um, I want to ask you about something I saw on your website here. What is this that I'm seeing, uh, Bridgeland Para X Paranormal Expo in October? Yes. So I'm actually I'm putting that on. Um, it's uh, the Para X. It's here in northern Utah, in Logan, Utah, on October 9th. Um, I have uh, a few people coming in to speak. Um, Shannon Legros, who's a good friend of mine, she also um, does books and and um, has a podcast and a bunch of things. She's coming in from Las Vegas uh, to speak. Um, I will be speaking. We're going to have booths there. Um, we're going to have an exhibit of um, haunted objects. It's um, going to be a, just a, a, a fun kickoff for Halloween. Um, I've got quite a few speakers coming in, and um, it's it's uh, going to be you know just really exciting. I, I'm really excited to be part of it and, and be putting that on. Yeah, it sounds like fun. Uh, yeah. 
when you get the stories, when people submit stuff to you, do you ever get pit photos or anything to support? And, and not that you would require them, but I'm just curious if you ever mm-hmm. got anything that you, you know, was like, oh, wow, look at this, you know, this pretty cool stuff. Um, I don't. Um, I, at least not that I can remember uh, any photos from people. Um, uh, yeah, that's a good question. I, I actually have not gotten any photos from anybody that I've talked talk to. A lot of times it seems like um, some of the people, it's kind of like a, a surprise thing. They, they yeah. run into the paranormal. <laughs> yeah. it, it's an everyday kind of, or not an everyday kind of thing, but it, they're having a normal day, and then all of a sudden they – they run into the paranormal, which uh, <laughs> always fascinates me when that happens. Um, <laughs> Those are the most interesting stories. It's the people that are not looking for it that have these amazing encounters. I mean, I have to say I'm a little right. bit jealous because I do go out and look for it. And, uh, you know, the experiences are very rare when they happen. So uh, I get a little jealous when somebody's not looking for it and they have one. I know. That's me, too. That's me, too. I, I always like to try and go to the area if it's close enough. Um, when somebody tells me the story and I can kind of get the feel for it. And I'm always hoping that when I go there, I'll have a, a similar experience, though it usually or hasn't happened yet, but uh, I'm with you on that. So as we look at the books here, uh, the first one was True Paranormals, Paranormal Stories from Northern Utah, Stranger Bridgeland, and then Beyond Stranger Bridgeland, then Stranger West, Stranger U.S., and this is Beyond Stranger U.S., uh, uh, the, la- the last two books, Beyond Stranger U.S., this one, and then Stranger U.S., they encompass stories from the whole country. Is that right? Yeah, they do. Yep, they go all the way out. Um, Stranger U.S. had stories all over the United States. Um, and then this one, the new one, Beyond Stranger U.S., I have stories from all over the United States, and then I have a few from Canada and uh, one from Mexico as well. Um, I had somebody contact me, which was fantastic. Um, I love how, and when I when I hear stories um, from different areas, I like to delve in and and look at the um, history, and um, it's it's fascinating to me how um, uh, just the history affects paranormal stories in different areas uh, is is really fascinating. I also imagine that since you've broadened your coverage of stories to the entire country, you probably have an incredibly uh, rich source of these stories, and are, are you, is your idea here not to rush you in any way, but to continue mm-hmm. to cover stories that uh, that will you know, write books that include stories from the entire country, or are you looking on another more specific geography for your next project? You know, I I, I think I'm gathering from all over the place. Um, I when I when I get a story, you know, and I interview and I write it down, and it and it goes into I guess you would call my stack. Um, and then I go through with my wife, and we pick stories for the next book. Um, and we go instead of going off geography, we go off of more of um, the feel of the story and and how well it would fit. And it just happens to keep growing. Um, the geography has just kept growing because of being able to be on you know shows like yours, which are on the East Coast, and and just reaching more people, which. I, I just I just absolutely love meeting people from all over with their backgrounds and 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 their fascinating stories about the paranormal and and I just want to keep going like that um, wherever that takes me. Someday I'd love to go to another you know be able to go to another country even and in Europe maybe or wherever and, and interview people and, and get their stories there. As long as it keeps growing, I'll, I'll keep going. 
Uh, one of the reviews of your book series, just to give people an idea of, of how they're received, uh, this review says, absolutely excellent. One of the best ghost monster mystery books I've ever read, and I've read hundreds. Even a fascinating time slip story. Brilliant. So people seem to like them, John. People seem to like the books. Yeah, they, I've gotten some good reviews on Amazon, and I really appreciate that. Um, when people enjoy the book, I, I appreciate that they write a review, and, and that helps me out you know, a great deal. And and it, I'm very proud of it. I'm, I'm very proud of, of the work I've done, and, and I, I'm glad that people enjoy it. That's what I love about it is that, you know, people seem to enjoy it, that it's entertaining and, and fun, and it reaches people who have had experiences, and, and they kind of don't feel alone when they read those, which is good as well. Well, you should be proud of it. John, where can people buy Beyond Stranger U.S. and actually the whole Strangerland series of books? Um, you can find them on Amazon. Uh, they're on Kindle and on Softback as well. You can order them there. I have a few of them that are on Audible. I'm hoping to get all of them on Audible eventually uh, for those of you that like to listen to books as well. So, um, But, yeah, definitely on Amazon for them, all of them. When you put them on Audible, I don't really know how it works. Do you do you voice them, or do you have, does someone else do that? No, I have. I actually have somebody else that does that. Um, gotcha. I, I've had a couple different um, people with much better voices than me <laughs> <laughs> do them. So, well, terrific, John. These are great books. It's so much fun to talk about them. I love hearing about the stories, and I love the fact that you're you know you're gathering and and researching and bringing these stories together in a place that that can be shared easily. Uh, we need to we need to keep some type of archive of these things happening. A lot of these stories get lost to time, you know. People don't share the yeah. story and when they're gone we lose the story and and it's 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 a shame when that happens. Yeah, it is. And and it it is great because like you say, um we're we're living in a time when, you know, it's it's a little bit more open and people can feel a little bit more comfortable and I you know, I I always think about all the stories out there that never got told. And and the yeah. shame that that nobody got to hear them. So I I just I'm glad that I'm able to collect them and interview people. Well, again, I'm glad you are as well, and I'm glad you've agreed to come on the show a few times. We we love having you. And when you're ready to release the next one or the next one's out, please get in touch with us. Let us know because we'd love to have you back. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I love coming on the show, Jamie. Thank you, John. Again, uh, the book is called Beyond Stranger U.S. That's John's newest book. And you can find out more information about all of this and John's work and the and the event that John was talking about at StrangerBridgerland.com. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.